0: Welcome to Cavalier Central, bringing you everything you need to know about the wine and gold.
1: Hey hoopheads! we all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. with promo code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off. Hey
0: everybody, welcome back. I'm your host, Justin Matcham. In here with me today, Dan Golinski and Mason Cole. What is up, you guys?
2: Not much.
0: <laughs> Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. We're recording this on Saturday. It'll be up on Monday, but uh, you know how it is. We can start today by talking a little bit about just some general NBA news. The NBA has informed teams that they are allowed to open up practice facilities for group practices, workouts, and scrimmages with up to 10 players per team. Players must be tested every day and return a negative test to be able to participate in any of these things. Um, it seems like this is pretty much just what the kind of bubble mini camp was, just with fewer people, I guess. So... I mean, obviously I'm glad that we get to have this, but it almost just seems like that was all we could get, you know, as far as, <laughs> I mean, I guess we got in a little bit earlier than than bubble teams did, but I don't know. It just seems a little bit strange that looking back, you know, that was that, was that mini camp really a leg up or was this just kind of, and I guess players were more encouraged to go to that than, um, than they might be to this. But um, any, any thoughts about just being able to get back in the gym again from either of you?
2: Uh, I mean, I think it's good for, you know, especially the eight teams who didn't get to go to the bubble. I mean, we got, you know, the kind of mini training camp bubble, but I guess as, as many reps as you can get, especially for a team like the Cavs that is a, you know, still a, pretty, a team with a lot of, you know, younger players. I think it's good to just get any sort of reps in they can get, but... Yeah, it's, it, it, it's not much, but at least they can get into the facility and work together for a little bit. Any
0: thoughts from you, Dan?
3: Yeah, I just think it's good for for young players. I think for them it's more player development. And, and uh, I, I just think for it probably helps out the coaching staff kind of uh, be able to evaluate kind of where they stand a little bit. Um, more for the five-on-five five kind of element. Um, even though you would think it's probably a bit before guys really start to file in more in, in um, that sort of realm, but I just think it's it's good for team chemistry. Um, for as Mason said, for the teams that were in the bubble, it's a good
0: point. We also have the NBA and the MBPA agreeing to extend the deadline to serve notice on terminating the CBA for the fourth time now this offseason, this time pushing the date back to November 6th. There is still a gulf between the two sides on a start date for next season. Obviously, the NBA wants to start around Christmas. The players want to start around MLK today. Obviously having a later start date probably means a shorter schedule and according to bobby marks at espn shortening the schedule to 50 games could result in a loss of about 1.6 billion dollars so that kind of shows you right there where the nba is at and what their reasons are for wanting to start at that kind of late december range mason where do you see the nba starting where do you think will happen what do you want to happen
2: uh i think it's i mean i know that Uh, you know, the league has been, I I think they've handled a lot of what's happened the last year. Well, and I do think that they probably will end up starting. I know that the, you know, some players would like to start later, but I think they are going to end up starting near, uh, the Christmas date that, you know, they've been aiming for. And I think it's exactly for the reasons you noted, it would be a gigantic, uh, financial loss for a lot of players or uh, for a lot of teams, for the whole league in general, And, you know, as much as they would like to start later because, you know, the season just ended a few weeks ago, there are still those teams, which we alluded to, that didn't necessarily get the full sort of, you know, the the full bubble experience where they got to still have, you know, a few extra reps, a few extra games, all that. There are teams like the Cavaliers and, you know, Knicks Warriors who haven't played since March, and I think the NBA would like to get them back on track and the rest of the league back on track so that they can start as soon as possible and ideally you know get the 2021-22 season started you know near a normal October date. I think that's what they would like to do, but it's going to be interesting to see how it unfolds either way. That's what I think about it.
0: I still like I said I'm still hoping for an earlier start date. I still want it to be that Christmas time. Again, while I understand teams, especially like the Lakers and Heat that went really, really deep into the playoffs, you know, the Nuggets, whoever else that, you know, made deep playoff runs, it is kind of a challenge for them, but there are so many other teams that even went to the bubble that have still had plenty of time off, you know, those teams that got knocked out early or even like first-round exits. So there are plenty of teams that are more than ready to go, and it is kind of crunching. And I understand that it is kind of crunching a few teams, but I think if you look at the the league – at large, I think most teams are ready to play. And like I said, the NBA, I mean, that, that is a big financial loss if they delay the start. Have, have your opinions
3: on any of this changed at all, Dan? No, I'm, I'm with you guys wholeheartedly here. And almost in the fact that, um, I guess in a way, teams, yes, there were some that made, or a few that made really, really deep runs. But I look at it in a way as kind of like in the NFL with how division winners, like how they're, they have a first-place schedule the next season. Um, I, I think it, this is kind of in that same realm, like, I guess, trying to, for competitive balance, um, getting the teams that have been off for so long, getting them uh, more in the fold earlier on. It's, it's kind of that way for me as well. All right, well, we'll move on to some more Cavs specific news here.
0: Um, according to something that Windhorse said, I think, recently, the Cavaliers are looking to accelerate their rebuild. Um, <laughs> not exactly what I think people should be wanting to hear. This is something that never really goes well with teams. I think this is a good way to get stuck in the middle of the league in that kind of, you know, Hornets' purgatory of just kind of being forever stuck in the middle of the league. But like Windhorst said, the Cavs have been sort of at the bottom. From what I understand, they intend to move up. They intend to hit the gas a little bit. So um, what do you guys think of just the the concept of kind of trying to speed up this rebuild and possibly skip steps to just get to respectability a little bit sooner? Mason, you can start on that.
2: Oh, I uh, well, you know. The whole – I mean, as you said, when you hear about teams, especially like the Cavaliers, who haven't necessarily uh, – I mean, you know, they haven't had a ton of success recently without LeBron. I guess it is a little bit frightening to hear about the whole accelerated rebuild thing, especially when you kind of look at the situation their roster's in now. Uh, You know, they don't have a ton of uh, cap space right now. They have a lot of money kind of tied up in guys like Kevin Love, Jetty Osmond, obviously – this next season, you're going to be paying Andre Drummond, Iffy in of course. There just doesn't seem to be a lot of ways that you could accelerate this unless you see massive steps uh, of improvement from some of your young guys, which I feel like is very unlikely. I don't think that there's really a good way for them to do it just because kind of, they've kind of put themselves in a financial bind and they don't really have a ton of trade pieces that would be that enticing. <laughs> to other teams I think the best thing for them to do the best way for them to get back to some sort of contention soon is just to kind of stick what they've been doing and hope for some lottery luck in 2021 I think that's really the only way they're going to get back to playoff contention anytime soon
0: and we can get into that a little bit more here in a minute but um Dan what do you what do you think when you hear accelerated rebuild for a team like this
3: yeah, it's you just read into it with kind of it's just eye rolling just because what is what is that going to mean? Um, how does that does that mean you're you're trading young assets to get even in the the conversation of the not eight or nine seed? I don't even that that even seems like a stretch to me for them to even be near that um, and. The problem is with that; it's it's not going to. The Cavs are never going to be really big free agency players um, unless they have a, a guy like LeBron here, and I, that's that just seems like it won't happen again. And who knows um, when he'll eventually hang him up? But it's yeah, it's it, they can't they shouldn't be giving up few assets in the near future to do that. Um, it, it just doesn't seem at all realistic I, I don't know why this this team would do that um you get a, a solid piece in the upcoming draft seemingly um and, and especially just because next draft there's so many guys that could um, really alter your your outlook for the better and i, I just I, I it's hard to read too too much into that i mean i'm, I'm not completely discounting wind horse, but it, it's just like, what, what exactly does that mean? The Cavs have said that they want to be competing for a playoff berth this season, um, but want to keep, it just seems like you you look at Kelsey Russo's uh, latest article, it, it's going to be about internal growth. It's just, it there's not much flexibility for him right now.
0: Yeah, and um, looking at something that Seth Partnow at the Athletic put together, he put together basically a tier list for the top 125 players in the league. He had them split into five tiers, going from obviously, you know, the, the top of the top superstars, kind of just moving on down. Again, this is the top. This is the top 125, so it is all good NBA players, but. On Seth Partnell's list, there were two Cavaliers, those Cavaliers being Love and Drummond. Both of them were in Tier 5, which is described as, you know, that kind of player that can provide a little extra something to push teams over the edge in close matchups, and guys who provide real value towards postseason goals. So, obviously, you know, above average rotation players, you know, quality starters. Um, In this group as well, you saw players like Aaron Gordon, Al Horford, Buddy Heald, Clint Capella. Christian Wood, Davis Bertans, DeAndre Ayton, Jeremy Grant, J. Crowder, Steven Adams, TJ Warren, Tyler Hero. Those are just a few of them. There are a lot of others, just to kind of give you an idea of the other players that are in this kind of tier. I kind of feel like the Cavaliers, or, or the that Love and Drummond in particular, do kind of fit into that role, especially with Love, again, gradually declining and Drummond's game just kind of, being a little bit outdated at this point. Do either of you have any disagreements with
3: their placing on this list? Dan, we can start on you with this one. Probably not. Um, Top of rotation player for for Kevin Love. Um, I'm probably a little bit more, I'll say I'm a little bit biased when it comes to Love. I just think he's a really good player still. Um, And to me, he's a a high-end starting four still to me. Um, is he an all-star? No, but it, is he in this, like, to put him in the same, I'm, I don't know, to put him in the same realm of player as Drummond is, is kind of a slight, but, and having, but you read into it and having Drummond in the same realm of player as Tyler Hero and these other guys is, I, I don't know, I, I wouldn't have put him in there personally. Um, I guess you could call me kind of a Drummond uh, critic in a way, but I just, it's, it's hard to, when you watch him, uh, even with the Pistons, not, not even be in closing lineups on a number of occasions. It's just hard for me to say he's close to the same realm of player of love. That's just my take. Mason, where are you at with this? Do you have any disagreements on any of the placement on this list?
2: Uh, I mean, not really. I I kind of fall in the same boat as Dan. I think that I do think Kevin Love being in this range uh, makes sense because you know I I do think that Kevin Love is the type of guy who, if on a a actually good team, could push you to you know he could raise your ceiling a little bit if you're if you're a contending team. I think one player on the list who kind of would be somewhat of a comparison. Uh, right near him, same category as Mark Gasol, and you know, back in the in the Raptors season where they ended up, you know, beating the Warriors, winning the finals, Mark Gasol wasn't the superstar of that team. He wasn't the Kawhi Leonard, but he definitely was a great, you know, addition to that team, addition to that roster, and he definitely did uh help them end up winning, you know, a title. And I think that that's kind of where Kevin Love is at right now. He could help a team win a title, but he doesn't really make a ton of sense on a team, you know, such as the Cleveland Cavaliers. Andre Drummond, you know, I just don't know if he's necessarily in that same boat because we've never seen him do it with anybody. With Kevin Love, we've at least seen him be that, you know, type of guy who's a uh, a good, you know, rotational player, I guess. But yeah, I kind of agree with Dan. I, I think Kevin Love being in this sort of area makes sense, but I'm not necessarily as sure about Andre Drummond.
0: And keep in mind that this is a a big tier, you know, encapsulating a lot of players. Oh, yeah. So where would you kind of, looking at, looking at like Clint Capella and Steven Adams, just as far as, you know, the the value that is provided on the floor, would you put both of them ahead of Drummond or would you kind of put those, like those types of players in the same
3: tier or do you think that those guys are a tier above Drummond? Dan, we can start with you on that one. I think them in that where the third tiered is fine. I mean, with Love, uh, like I understand that just because offensively they're limited, um, not non-shooters. But to me, it, defensively at least, I, I mean, Adams is not switchable on in pick and roll, that sort of thing. But he plays the verticality, is a real rim protector, um, and offensively has – really progressed in the last few years. Um, He's one of the better post up bigs in the league now. Uh, And honestly, can can provide some passing for you um, in in spots. Uh, Maybe the best screener in the league, not to Drummond's a very good one himself, but um, a lot more mobile than Drummond, frankly, Um, honestly runs the floor very well for a big too. I think that's kind of underrated from him. And Capella defensively, I mean, I wouldn't say he's necessarily switchable, but another guy that plays with verticality, um, really athletic, uh, fluid for a big, um, runs the floor especially well, too. Uh, and I just think in today's NBA, um, if he can kind of stay healthy, or uh, I, I just think is at least in the playoffs is can at least be viable um, if you need him to be. Offensively, Drummond's uh, further along, but I, I just think I-, I Capel is a player that at least is just laterally more athletic and real lob threat. Um, just for today's league, fits it more. Uh, just more mobile. Would you put him in, in kind of that same tier or I, you think I, that I both would. of them would be a step I, I, above? I think he's as impactful as love. Yes. Um, along with, with Steven Adams, just because love defensively, I mean, we know the, we know the issues. So yeah, I, I would just personally put, I, I'm not trying to knock Drummond here, but just looking at the kind of metrics he was using and, and from an analytic scope. Um, he's one of the better rebounders in the league. I'm not, if not the best, I'm not knocking that, but are, is he playable down these stretches of games? That's that's a huge question mark for me.
0: And okay, so I, I almost feel like this fifth tier could have been split into, you know, yeah, it, I, I'm like two more tiers. Like you could have had a tier six and maybe that's where Drummond belongs because you also look at players like, you know, Jay Crowder and I think, I think Aaron Baines was in this tier as well. There are, there are other players, you know, that I might take Drummond over. But overall, I, I think that Love is kind of ahead. Of, I definitely think that Love is ahead of him. But I, I agree with both of their placements in
3: Tier 5. Like, I don't think that you could take Drummond off of this list. Well, at least have it tier – he has the, the other ones A and B, just have it 5B. Yeah, that's
0: another thing. He didn't have any, like, just 5B, weird. 5C. He just had it all 5A. So that's a good point, but overall, like I said, I, I'm not kind of I I don't disagree with this too much. And I mean, no. our arguments here are you know that maybe Drummond should be lower, and that just kind of shows you, you know, with the Cavaliers saying that they want to accelerate this rebuild, that just kind of shows where they're at right now. They don't have even somebody who is a tier four C player. They they really they have a couple of guys that can be good contributors on a playoff team. You know, high level contributors. But this isn't a team that's going to be, you know, really in the mix next season, most likely, unless, unless drastic things happen.
1: Upeds Nation, we appreciate you listening to this episode of Cavalier Central with Justin Matcham. We also have four other team-focused NBA podcasts, including Nuck a Few Buck, Grizz and Grind, 305 Culture, and Blazing the Path. Be sure to check out these other basketball pods on the Hoopheads Podcast Network too, including Thrive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, the CoachMaze.com podcast, Players Court, and Bleachers and Boards. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads Podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game from grassroots to the NBA.
0: People want to talk about, you know, Miami Heat, for an example of, you know, something that teams should try to be looking at as, you know, well, the Heat didn't tank, you know, they didn't this rebuild, you know, they were competitive the whole time, and now look where they're at. The thing with the Heat was is, I mean, yes, they didn't tank. The Cavaliers originally didn't want to tank. They were going to try to stay competitive after LeBron left the second time with, with, you know, that group of veterans of George Hill and Kyle Korver and whoever else. Like, their original plan was to try to compete for the playoffs with that team, And it just didn't work. So they kind of had to take the route that they're taking of getting assets and getting younger. And, you know, like you said, I mean, Miami isn't the hugest market in the world, but it's obviously an attractive place to live. And yes, they kind of set a culture. But I mean, getting a guy like Jimmy Butler, like one, Jimmy Butler's aren't just walking around, you know, every year, you know, ready to be signed and traded to your team. That's something that doesn't happen very often, especially not in a market like Cleveland that doesn't have a beach and that isn't, you know, New York or L.A. or wherever else. So, I mean, it's not as easy as just, you know, we'll just be competitive and that'll work out in the end. You know, sometimes being a worse team is just the way to go to get younger and just having patience. So overall, I just kind of wanted to mention that as far as, you know, a route to competitiveness that some people have suggested that teams like Cleveland take. And that a report like this kind of suggests they take as well.
3: Um, yeah, and, I mean, do we want to pay guys like Tyler Johnson and James Johnson? Like <laughs> that's, a, I, that's another thing, yeah. People don't just seem to gloss over that, too.
0: Yeah, how, how, how lucky are we going to be with just kind of being able to get out of signing, you know, middle-of-the-road vets to bad contracts? They kind of got lucky there as far as being able to get out of the right. Tyler Johnson deal and the James Johnson deal and the Hassan Whiteside deal that they gave out. Right. So, I mean congratulations to the Heat for doing it. I'm not saying that, you know, they – obviously they've done a very good job there, but I'm saying each circumstance is kind of unique, and I don't really think that they have an easy blueprint to follow, even like the kind of the way that Toronto does, where, you know, they they never really tanked, but they they drafted really well, and, you know, with those lower draft picks – And then we're able to trade for a star. That's the kind of the more path that, you know, if you're looking at that, you can follow. But even that is extremely difficult to hit on as many low draft picks or undrafted guys as they have. So I I really think that the Cavaliers are on the appropriate, you know, correct path for, you know, where they were as a team when LeBron left. So looking at what Bleacher Report had, an article predicting the Cavaliers to be one of the worst the five worst teams in the league next season. They had them coming in ahead of OKC, Detroit, and New York, and finishing behind Charlotte. Really, it's it's gonna it's gonna be kind of hard to predict the West as far as you know how that's gonna turn out next season. I, I believe that you know OKC is gonna be near the bottom. I don't think that they're gonna hold on to Chris Paul. I don't think Gallinari is gonna come back. I think that they're gonna kind of shift into that that rebuild phase. As far as everybody else, there really aren't any teams that you know you can say for sure they're going to be bad next season. I mean, probably Minnesota, but I think they're going to try to compete. I think they're going to try to bring back Beasley. I mean, obviously they have a top pick. We'll see who they draft or if that becomes another player that helps them win. And with D'Lo and Cat, I think they're trying to win games there. And, you know, you can look at Sacramento's and maybe San Antonio finds a way to get off of DeRozan and off of Aldridge and they start to rebuild. But overall, I I kind of feel like the Cavaliers – I mean, they pro- they deserve to be on this list again. I-, I I do believe that they will be better than the three teams that are listed on this t- on this list, being OKC, Detroit, and New York. But do you see Mason? We'll go to you on this one. Do you see them finishing ahead of anyone else next season? Um, as of right now, I mean, obviously there's a lot that can yeah. change, but
2: I would have to say probably not. Uh, just because, really, when you look at what they have going for them, and you know, right now. We've got, you know, a roster that's probably going to be similar to what we see even after free agency in the draft. Like, they're not going to make a ton of these giant, you know, splashy moves, and there's not a real game changer in the draft that we're aware of at this point in time. I think, yeah, probably they're going to be bottom five, like this article suggested. I think they got it uh, pretty accurate. I guess it all kind of depends on guys like, you know, sexton kevin porter jr you know i'm not expecting anybody on our team to really take a leap and become some like superstar level player but that's really the only way that i guess they wouldn't be you know really bad this year because their roster is kind of still at a point where it's constructed to be bad so i guess i'd have to agree with it and yeah i think the Cavs are probably going to be bottom five
0: dan any disagreements with their placement here
2: No, not really. Um, They pretty
3: much – it pretty much alludes to how they need Colin Sexton to be Donovan Mitchell or something like that. That's pretty much what it would take. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I mean, looking at just, you know, when the Cavaliers could realistically become a good team again, you know, somebody who's – we'll say just a consistent playoff team year to year – I guess we'll start with you on this one, Dan. You know how how long do you think it is until the Cavaliers are a real playoff team again?
3: I think it's. Uh, I think it's a 20, difficult question. <laughs> I think twenty-one, twenty-two is. I, I think that's when they vie for a playoff berth. Um, from a realistic standpoint, I, I think just because that draft um, and twenty twenty-two is is pretty loaded. Um, there's just a lot of guys there. I think if the Cavs could get a guy like Jalen Johnson, um, that's a guy you that could really kind of get you going more. Um, they just need to find that kind of 3-4 type or at least a primary career to really tie this offense together. And I, I just think for them, I think that's when you expect them to kind of look to move Love around that point. I think – um, maybe during the next, the 2021 draft near that, you, you, look to do that and maybe you can add another guy that's kind of like one of those foundational pieces, um, if possible. Um, I just think for them, I think that's when Sexton firmly is that guy for them. That's, I mean, not that he, he kind of is the number one already now, but that's like him and Porter and Garland, I think then, or uh, have, like, all the – they'll have all that developmental time. Um, I, I really think J.B. Bickerstaff is here for the long haul, which I, I really haven't thought – I didn't really think that about Teron Liu anyhow. Even when LeBron was here, it was hard to say. And I just think Bickerstaff, them being able to kind of gradually build this team, maybe add a couple pieces um, via free, free agency that are kind of those unsung guys, um, I just think if if the Cavs can get kind of that that clear number one guy you're looking forward, which I really think they can in the next two drafts. There's a lot of go- potential guys there. maybe maybe they get uh, um, Boston Jr. and if they have to move Garland down the road, so be it, whatever. Um, if they're going for the guard. But I just think they're they're really they're due here in the next two drafts to to really hit their their golden ticket, and I just think two seasons from now is when they're clear. They could clear as day be a playoff team year to year, and I I just think with Bickerstaff's ability to manipulate lineups, I really have high hopes for him. And, And I'd say two years down the road, they could definitely be at that point.
2: Any thoughts to add to that, Mason? I think that's that that's probably pretty accurate. You know, two or three years. It all depends, really. Again, on on uh, next year's draft, not you know not this upcoming one, but the twenty twenty one draft. Because again, you could get somebody in that draft who's really good. Uh, you know, unless there's a, a a true hidden gem in this draft, then you know, three or four miracles happen. Then yeah, it's probably going to be like two or three years. It all depends. I mean. It really, it's it's gonna be based on lottery luck. Like if they can if they can get a good pick in the twenty 2020 twenty run twenty twenty one draft, like the top three of that draft, all you know, a, a lot of those players are gonna have a chance to be that sort of you know foundational guys. Yeah, foundational top tier guys. So it all depends on that. But you know, they the Cavs have some young talent now. They'll obviously be more developed in a couple of years. So yeah, I think that that would probably be the goal. I'm in agreement there. I think
0: this draft, is, this draft isn't going to be about you know really changing your franchise's fortunes. It's just going to be pick up a piece who can help you and just kind of join your existing core, but not you know. As of right now, again, there's always the chance that something happens, but there isn't a franchise cornerstone in this draft, and I think you know expecting to really make a, a big leap when you aren't going to be real free agency players and you, there isn't anybody in this draft that can, again, seriously alter the projection of your franchise, the projection, whatever. I I just, I don't see it being this coming season. Again, if the Cavaliers nailed their pick next draft, that's when you can look at them being, okay, you know, this is a real team. This is a real playoff team, you know, looking at that, any of the next, you know, few years, but I just don't think that this is the year for them. Um, I, I hope that they don't try to do anything, you know, to, accelerate their rebuild because you know trading for a win now vet you know if they want to trade out of this pick which again i don't think they're going to do or even you know if, if they decide to take top just with the hope that you know he's the best player and that he can make him competitive i really just think this this draft is about adding a piece but not adding like the guy that's going to make your team at
3: that level I just hope that that they don't trade Larry Nance. If they did that, that's sh- yeah, okay, which has yeah. been brought up for kind of like cap savings potential for other teams. Which I, for the Cavs, that would be a disastrous move. Like there is no, zero reason to do that.
0: That that is one that I agree with. Even the thought of yeah, like we talked about in the past on here, the like Larry Nance to the Celtics for salary filler and the 14th overall pick. That is something that I disagree with. But um overall, yeah. One more thing for us to get into here, real quick. Um, Lamelo Ball, one of this draft's prospects, has apparently really been flopping in his interviews with teams, and um, reports are that he could slip in the draft. Now, I still don't expect him to slip to number five. When you know we see that he may slip, that means maybe he slips down to number three, and you know those top teams go away from him. But there's there's always that, that little sliver of possibility. You know, if, if none of the top three teams are interested in him, they all want to go away from him, maybe maybe this, the Bulls are locked in on Obi Toppin and, and there falls Lamelo to number five. Is this somebody that you would ever consider drafting? I guess we can start with, with you on this one, Mason. Um, would this be a pick that you would want on this team even if you were available at number five?
2: I mean I think they would I think if LaMelo Ball fell to 5 the Cavs would at the very least have to consider it just kind of based purely on that that passing ability that you know he exhibited uh in in this you know prior year obviously the fact that he would have fallen to 5 would be a concern in itself but I think just purely based off of his talent you would have to consider drafting LaMelo Ball I know there's You know, there's players who'd probably be safer bets like guys like, you know, Isaac Okoro or, you know, even even, you know, say if if Danny Avdia was was there at five as well, which he probably wouldn't be if Lamella was there, that would probably be a safer pick. But, you know, if he fell to five, even despite the sort of, you know, concern over his pre-draft interviews, I think they would have to consider drafting him based purely on the, you know, offensive upside that he provides. Dan, where are you at with this one? Yeah, I, I agree with Mason. Um, his
3: his passing ability with both hands, uh, Amber Dexter's passing is is kind of an underrated thing. It seems like uh, he has that can th- kind of has that full off defensive rebound length of the throw p- or floor pass like his brother. Um, yeah, you have to factor that in. He's got a good handle, um, and for a guy that whose shot comes and goes. His ability to get into the teeth of defense and finish, even while still being really skinny, um, is impressive. Um, He's got a floater game. Kind of goes to that almost, it seems like, too often. But, yeah, you'd have to consider him there. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Um, But to me, I I just... I'm a little ball guy. um, I I guess that I I think he'll be a good player, but it's just how much is he going to give up at the other end of the floor? I I think the Cavs, where they are, is is he going to drastically change the outlook of your team? I I don't think so, frankly. Um, Just because defensively, I, I understand ones are defensively are that's not that's kind of like a thing you kind of throw it away a little bit, but it's just when you have. For the Cavs' situation, they're, they're so far away from being com- like competent defensively. And I just think for them, that means you, you – I guess you'd go out and get – spend the mid-level on on a wing defender, which is fine. I guess if you look at maybe a restricted guy in Wessowundu, I, I can understand that. Um, who's long, can guard twos and threes. And and Dan Favali kind of suggested that, which I, I'm a fan of him. But <laughs> – it's just for the Cavs. I, I don't love it. And as Mason said, if he drops there, that's a concern in itself. And there's just another guard. The thing is, if they got another guard, like I could maybe see Killian Hayes, although he doesn't seem like he wants to play here, which is a problem. I think the other thing is, well, Mello has, it seems like been dismissive, like whenever the, the Cavs are brought up. Um, just says like no. Where other teams, he's like kind whenever of, any team other than New York is brought up, essentially. Well, it, they he's been kind of non-committal on other teams, but the Cavs were outright one where he said no, and that in itself is a problem to me. And I just think God, whether guys say it publicly or not, when they when they're drafted to Cleveland, when they're coming from where he's coming from, and how his dad is. I'm not reading to his dad much, but. In this specific instance, I, I kind of that makes me a little gun shy, um, and and I was before. But if you're drafting another guard, and he might not be able to shoot, that's that's a huge red flag to me.
0: I think this is the if something like this were to happen, this is the perfect trade down scenario. Oh yeah, where you have Detroit and New York sitting there. That's what it would seem to be. Yeah, I, I think that that is what you would do in the situation. I I don't know if I'd take Lamelo. I think. I think that, you know, the concept of trading down isn't that bad of an idea, even if someone, if one of those top three guys isn't there. But I think especially if someone who, you know, a guy, a team like Detroit or New York would desperately be wanting to get is there, you can get more for that pick. And I think that that is, that would be the route to go is either a trade with a team like Detroit or New York or someone else who, you know, just is really, really high on the mellow that when
3: that team makes sense for him. So, um well, just just one last thought. The only reason why I, I don't even—I mean, you, you touched on this already—but I don't even consider Lamelo a possibility. Is I just think the Bulls, if he's there, given that, yeah, you're, you're O'Connor probably O'Connor right. said that they're targeting a, a, a lead playmaker. He's their guy. I mean, you would think just because they're they need that guy at this point, and they whereas Chicago actually defensively is pretty good, and if they brought back Chris Dunn. For example, he could help disguise some defensive issues with the ball. So that adds in it, too.
0: A LaMelo and Levine backcourt might be kind of rough on that end. But overall, I, I, see, I do see what you're saying. If you could bring in Dunn to kind of shore that up, and you have a piece like Wendell and Otto Porter will probably still be there. So it, it wouldn't be the worst team in the world on the defensive end.
3: Yeah, and they and you they could bring Shaq Harrison back to um in addition. Like they, they have some guys there. I they I just think Billy Donovan, I think, from a coaching standpoint, I think they'll they'll be a much more competent team. Yeah.
0: One more thing I would do wanna talk about a little bit before we we wrap up here, is obviously we, we haven't seen what the Cavalier City jersey is gonna be yet. I'm assuming that that'll probably be getting leaked soon. But I just kinda of wanna hear your guys' thoughts on you know, just the concept of all these city jerseys, you know, being coming out every year. Me and Mason were talking about it a little bit before we started here. But, like, a- according to what Evan Damerel said, um, he hasn't heard anything about, you know, the Cavaliers retro, you know, those black jerseys coming back. What do you guys think about, you know, just every team basically releasing one or two new jerseys every season? And then those jerseys just kind of cycling out at the end of the year. Is that something that you're a fan of? Because personally, I'm really not. Like we were, we were talking about you know, I have one of the Kevin Love jerseys from last year, the the city edition, kind of like the the navy blue ones with kind of throwbackish looks. I really, really like those jerseys, but I don't even know if we're ever going to see them again.
2: Uh, yeah, Dan, I we mean, can
0: start on you with this one. Oh, Just kind right. of your overall thoughts on the the turnover of jerseys.
2: Honestly, the NBA. You can uh, go, Mason. Yeah, you know, what, Mason, you go first. Go ahead. Oh, okay. That's all it's okay. good. Well, all I was going to say pretty much was um yeah, I think <laughs> I think that the jersey thing is kind of uh I I just I mean, you know, the the city edition jersey we had last year, the navy one. My issue is is that some of these jerseys are good enough that I actually do like them and, you know, they're aesthetically, you know, appealing and when you watch them, you know, on a occasional basis you're like wow those are pretty nice jerseys and and then they're just gone and really with these city jerseys over the past couple of years it's really been kind of a roll of the dice as to whether or not they're really good or just horrendously bad because some teams have had really bad city jerseys and i just think that if you get a good one you should just stick with it like the Cavs won last year it it was good, and I feel like if they had that year to year, that's something that fans would like. I mean, I would consider buying one if the Cavaliers uh, had a player that I would be confident would you know be around for more than a couple of years. <laughs> but it, it's just I I don't I don't really like the whole rotation of jerseys necessarily. Dan, where you at with them?
3: Yeah, I, I thought the ones in, in not last season, the year before. Uh, I, I don't. know, It was like the icy blue or whatever. Those were just oh, the, were, they were cool. Yeah. yeah. And honestly, I thought the orange and blue ones were very cool. I mean, it, it at least had – like, to me, the whole thing is if it's not really where it's – like, I mean, they can do a rotation, whatever. I just think some of them don't really represent the city all that well. And, like, last year, I mean, they had, like the, – it seemed like it was mainly Goodyear. Like, for the Cavs, it just didn't seem like it really repped Cleveland. Like, there wasn't a whole lot of, I guess – Originality with it in that way. Where the year before they seemed to to do that well, and they were aesthetically pleasing as well. So, um, yeah, some of them are just awful looking, but I, I don't know. And it's like the Kings, like it's like Sacktown. It's like okay, <laughs> I mean, like great. Like yeah, like have- if if it's if it <laughs> the whole thing is with like the the physical name, like is that really a huge deal? Like it's just. It's more so the the image beyond it, to me. Like, they can change them year to year, but just if there isn't a whole lot of, like, originality with the city involved, and when it's called City Edition, then what the hell is the point of changing them? I don't know.
0: Another grudge that they have with the Warriors is that they have a jersey
3: called The City and another one called The Town. Well, that's the difference <laughs> between... Well, they Oakland is the town, and Sac, or San Francisco is the city. That's the difference between the two. Because they used to right, play... Well, you got to
0: pick one. You're only playing in one of those cities. you got
3: to pick which one and stick with it. Oh, yeah. For the for them going forward, yeah, you can't... That has to be how it is.
0: Their next jersey is going to say The State, because they're Golden State. They're
3: Golden State, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. they're going to
0: have The City, The Town, and The State.
3: Yeah, but um, uh, I don't know. There needs to be like front-running kind of fans for the them, the Lakers, in there too. And you do yeah. have that. Out <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, with the Cavs,
0: like you were talking about, like those those kind of blue and white ones. That those those were the earned edition because the Cavaliers had made the playoffs the year before. The earned edition based off of oh. their city edition. Oh. So yeah, again, those were cool jerseys. But like, glad we got to see him worn five times, and we'll never see them again yeah again i thought that they were pretty cool like people bought those jerseys and you're again i just i don't like the fact that we're probably never gonna see them again again hopefully maybe someday they come back around but i just i don't like the different turnover of jerseys every single year i don't know i, I don't know how long you can keep that going you know i don't know if you can keep coming up with a new jersey concept for every single team every single year yeah and like you know looking at you know five six seven years from now they're gonna be so many different jerseys it's like you know, the, 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 what, you know, a, a random team has for that city Jersey. Like it's almost going to be like, you know, I don't know. I, I just, I don't like the idea of it in general. We'll see what the Cavaliers looks like. Hopefully it's something that looks decent. Again, I don't know if it can be better than last year's city Jersey. Cause I really like their city Jersey last year. I really like their throwback Jersey last year, but um, anyway, any, any final closing, closing thoughts before we
3: get out of here from either of you? uh no i i think that's pretty much it Uh, no taglines for me this week or this go around i should say
0: yeah all right well then thank you everybody so much for listening uh if you enjoyed please subscribe rate review do all that stuff um thank you mason and dan for hopping on with me always fun and uh we will see you all next time
3: yep thanks thanks as always guys and Get, make sure you can get that City Edition in Ante Zizic
1: form. If you have an existing podcast or are looking to launch your own pod, but aren't sure where to start, the team at My Podcast Manager can help. Our podcast team works behind the scenes so you can do what you do best. We'll help you launch your podcast, make it sound great, and free up your time for the more enjoyable parts of podcasting. If you're ready to put your podcast editing, production, and promotion on autopilot with a trusted team of podcasting professionals, visit mypodcastmanager.com to get started.
0: Thank you for listening to Cavalier Central. Be on the lookout for another episode coming soon.